Anyways, let's continue where we left off. This time we're going to be talking about the Laniru Desert. The main thing I remember about the um, the first time was that it struck me how important it is to balance your stamina um, over the quicksand. So the deal with the Laneru Desert is, well, besides the, the quicksand that you said, this is also where we see the introduction of the, the time shift stones. If you look at the number one uh, where I marked in the map, this is the area where you have to in the linear desert, you know, after you go through that introductory section where you introduce the carts and the and uh, the time shift zones, this is the one where you actually have to get access to it by throwing the bomb through the top of the hole in the cage, and then you have to beat up all the techno blends so you get the beetle upgrade. So more so than the prior two areas, this is the one where you get to see uh, quite a lot of use of the flying beetle, but also in addition to the bombs, because be, you're going to be frequently flying it around, finding time shift stones to hit, or picking bombs up so you can blow things up so you can open the passage forward. And there's also um, some of the enemies as well. They, um, it's quite easy to to uh, to defeat them with the bombs. So you know things like the uh, electro spumes. Um, you know they're quite easy just to get rid of uh, with bombs. Um, yeah, bombs uh, for those enemies I th explode on contact. It was an interesting thing that I noted when I was playing through the game. Also, mm. in that it, it's there's actually a fairly wide open area when you first start out in this area, and that's where you are introduced to these ampelises, these big, kind of like crawfish looking enemies with their big conch shells or not conch shells but big shells that they like to sonic spin roll into you but you also have these like four pillars that you can use to sort of block them off and uh, have them ram into so you can get your chance to attack at them because otherwise it's actually pr pretty hard when you don't have any <laughs> when you don't have any walls to cover for you yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice and organic how there's just like a certain enemy type, and there's the there's the pillars there, or the little raised uh, platforms, and just by virtue of the fact of you walking through that environment, you'll prompt the so what are they called the amethyst, ampelus, ampelus. So you'll so just by walking through the environment, you'll prompt the ampelus to attack you, and when they um, track you, they kind of move in a circular motion, but they curve around, and, and because of that arc, you know, they're more as they're following you, as they're tracking you, um, you can lead them to you know, hit the walls, or you know, if not you can just um, uh, shield and defend as well but uh, I just like how sort of just the natural setup of the environment may facilitate interactions where the player yeah, uh, understands how they can engage with that enemy. And because they're an electric enemy, that's they're an enemy that encourages you to use either the shield bash uh, or the dash, because you'll find that it's mm. actually pretty hard to sidestep out of the way. So you have to go full speed in order to really get away from these enemies once they start rolling at you, because they are pretty sharp turners. There is a bit of a electricity theme in this 
in this area overall, isn't there? Because there's the uh, the techno bins who have their electrical rods. There's the electro spumes, um, and there's the electro uh, choo choos, and also later on to activate the the three tiered uh, spherical key to get into the mining facility you need to um use the the electrical ampullous eggs and move them into these little holes which will give you access to the uh, three generators and so you find find those generators you stick your sword in and then you basically flick them on so you've got uh, and then once the three generators are turned on, then you can then you know, open the um, um, open the main key. And so yeah, so there's it's a it's a desert, but with a electrical theme to it. Maybe this is um, kind of a shallow comparison, but just between the aesthetics and the idea of a, a small puzzle room, kind of on its own, locked away, uh, the three electrical generator things reminded me of the shrines from Breath of the Wild. Oh, mm. I, I get what you mean, yeah. Um, just going back to the uh, to the first area, um, well, this area overall, actually, the center point, like each, so each three areas, uh, each of the three areas has a, has a different, uh, like a tall, ver- uh, like a tall object, which is, um, which helps the player, uh, which helps to orientate the player in the environment. And so Farron Woods has the great tree. Elden Volcano has the volcano and Lanaru Desert has that giant uh, circular structure, the entrance to the mining facility. And unlike Farron Woods and Elden Volcano, when you actually enter the desert, you enter from a raised area and you have a good, I mean, a very wide view because of the draw, you know, because of the limited draw distance in this game and the fact that objects further away are really you know, blurred out of existence because of the art style but unlike the other two areas you do start off with um, a greater you sort of enter slightly from above so that you can easily um, see the uh, the walls on the left and the right which are a significant element in this environment and so then as the player walks uh, walks through they can sort of figure uh, they get a sense for how this environment is organized whereas i feel in the other two environments it's like you're always um sort of your head's always sort of buried in the sand or it's in the sort of it, like you can't see the trees from the forest yeah the the trees will little be in the way or just the struck tall structure of the volcano in the elder volcano would be you know won't give you that much room to see over unless you're already in an elevated area whereas because you know the way linear desert is where it's generally pretty flat minus those walls mm. um you could you can just get a pretty good vantage point as long as you get on top of one of them or even just on the the regular ground so yeah that's actually an interesting point correct me if i'm misremembering but if you look towards the temple even if you're in the giant main area you can still see the the big old gate that you're gonna um see up closer later in addition to what you said before adrian um it's it's 
the time shift zones are sort of, I guess, tutorial or tutorial tutorialized through the linear section before the player enters um, the, you know, this large um, desert room. So, so yeah, so the player has some knowledge of it uh, before they approach. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say yeah. the linear, the main area, the linear desert itself doesn't also start out linear because as you can see from the map, the challenges, you know, you start off from the bottom, you work your way to the west, and, you know, you basically go in a, a counter, or no, a clockwise circle. Yeah, that's right. Once you get the uh, the beetle upgrade as well, like um, you, like you have different ways of interacting with the environment. So um, you can drop, you can pick up the bombs and drop them off in the in the sort of I'm not sure how to describe them, but let's say the, uh, the sort of basketball rings <laughs> yeah. that are attached to the walls. Um, and you can also use it to uh, to attack the uh, the I'm just going to check Ampelus, right? Yeah, yeah. To, um, so you can also uh, attack them from a distance before you actually um, engage them and prompt them to uh, dash over, and that's useful in the next section where there's all the quicksand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, speaking, I don't know why I wrote them as the basketball rings. I, I wrote them as coffins for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, one of the the uh, well, so. I mean, the top looks like a basketball hoop, and then the shape of the door, it has that um, hexagonal shape, uh, like a coffin, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's got Like Dracula's going to pop out. Yeah, yeah, it's got the tapering of a coffin, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah. So I kept writing them down kind as coffins. Yeah. Where I dab wrote the uh, the number two in the map, uh, in the, the southern area, that's where you... I actually have to use that's the first time you use the hook beetle to drop bombs into the into the coffins so you can get across the sink sand. Uh, of course you also got to watch out for the the spume that's in there. And then in the south west, that's where you get these you know these two different uh, sink sand areas. The main thing with the first one, I I should say it this way. You see a progression where you start off with using the Ampelus so that you can get across the sink sand, and that one's actually interesting. When the Ampelus dies, its shell actually stays behind, and you can use it as a platform to get across. Otherwise, the, the distance uh, is typically too great uh, for you to dash across without you running out of stamina and sinking. Uh, in that second of the area, uh, what they do is uh, they actually make it a river this time, so you have to kill the Ampelus while it's at a distance and its shell will come across and now you have a moving platform in order to run across so that's the escalation of uh, the, the idea there where first you start off in like a static one and then you start off in a moving sand river that you have to make your way across and then I guess um, and then I guess the next development of this quicksand idea is that once you uh, once you enter the Temple of Time area on the uh, no, it's like on the uh, on the west. Then you once you come back out into the desert area, so where six is, um, Fee 
your companion will tell you that you can walk on the areas that connect with the sort of the, sp the spokes of this dial. Mm -hmm. So, so there's a sort of the center circular area, which is the entrance to the uh, mining facility. And that's ultimately your goal. Um, and then there are several spokes that uh, come off in different directions. And some of those spokes are incomplete. And so the idea is you use the visual information of the map and then you and then fee encourages you to place uh, waypoint markers at each of the junctures so that you can then use those to orientate you so that you move across the quicksand mm -hmm. um and so there's that sort of uh um, hidden element which i guess is another form of development of this idea so i had a question about that um mm -hmm. During the during the silent realm, realm you, don't you don't have access, access to the waypoints, right? Because um, you just don't have that option on the map screen. Um, yeah, it seems so. They can place waypoints, although it doesn't show it in the video. But you can see the cursor with oh. the waypoint is 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 there. So it's still syncing, and you can still place waypoints. Oh, crazy! I I remember playing it. I thought that I just had to have remembered where all the sync sand like basically where all the spokes were broken yeah i remember when i was playing this for the first time and i noticed i was sort of in the north eastern corner and i had entered that area before i entered uh, before i went clockwise around the uh southwestern um uh, edge and so I was walking on the quicksand and, and I noticed that in some areas I, you know, like there was quicksand and some, and then in some other areas there wasn't. And I was really confused and I spent like an hour, like trying to figure it out. And yeah, I wasted <laughs> so much time. And then later, like Fee will explain it to you. So I do find the quicksand a bit frustrating actually. I like it. Getting on to back to the, the main map before we, you know, head back to talking about the silent room again and how the challenges have changed. Uh, there's that. There's actually a whole section with the Temple of Time, uh, and that's a continued escalation of the, you know, the time shift stone challenges. And inside the minecart, where you know you go in, you fight a bunch of enemies. There's that one tree in the middle where you have to, as you're going in, you know, shoot it from the side, and of course, also you'd be using the flying beetle in order to activate them ahead of time. And I remember once you get to the other side, you actually find out that you can't get into the Temple of Time. And I don't think you ever go into the Temple of Time. Um, the Temple of Time is in the Farron Woods. What? I thought that was where Impa was. Um, no. It's What's, in, what is that in, called? It's That one I think is just the sealed, sealed grounds and the sealed temple. Well, uh, cool. uh, you can at least understand why I would confuse the two names there. Yeah, I I thought the same thing. I thought the <laughs> Temple of Time is you know usually in a forest, not a desert, but they called it the Temple of Time in this game. Okay. And, and yeah, I, I don't think you ever go in there. That or I never came back to check if you go in there. I mean, once you finish the mining facility, like you enter, like you enter in from around the other side of the wall, but there's a cutscene, and mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Impa calls you a loser. <laughs> so yeah. 
Oh, the the neat thing though is when you find out that oh the walls busted down is uh, how you have to find the other time shift stone. You know, it's obviously it's just hidden under a rock on top of those little pillars there, but you know it's a, it's it's a neat thing. Oh, and another note to make is I made a note of all the bomb flower locations because it's, you can actually do quite a lot of these without ever using any bombs of your own, and also just because there's uh. A unique difference between throwing your own bomb and using a hook beetle on it and using one from a bomb flower and uh, one is that if you grab one from a bomb flower there's no timer and it'll detonate on impact so the only timer left there is the one on your beetle and not the one from the bomb oh, that's cool mm -hmm. of course I would naturally use uh, opportunities when I could to throw my own bomb and get a beetle out on it anyways it's fun messing around with that combo. It's also a very elegant solution because if you think about it, in the pre in Ocarina of Time and Wind Waker, the bombs were like flowers, and so. But the problem is if they did the same thing in Skyward Sword, and actually they do do the same thing in Skyward Sword, I think, you know, like the bombs are flowers. But what's good about uh, having the cactus? having the cactuses with the bombs on top is that the cactuses are raised vertically. And so that means that you don't have to run the beetle along the ground mm -hmm. where you're more likely to uh, hit the ground and then, you know, cause it to um, stop moving. Yep. So it's quite an elegant solution. Mm -hmm. And it, and it fits in uh, thematically as well. Oh, and of course you can, um, the, you know, the cactus are really fun to interact with because they will spring back and they will, sort of uh, uh, they'll respond realistically to the way in which you hit them so if you hit them at a certain angle they'll bounce back at that angle weebles wobble but they don't fall down oh and you can see uh, i made notes of the other enemies in this area uh, of course you, f you begin facing more Technoblins and uh, not exactly in a confined space uh, but one where they're more likely to gang up on you and you don't have the cages to get in the way of the fight. Uh, yeah, You also have a, quite a few more Octoroks in this area, in the Temple of Time area I mean. Yeah, for whatever reason mm. there's there's they're all gathered in this one area of the map, that's interesting. <laughs> Uh, once you, I kind of uh, dashed through the Temple of Time section, but um, I mean it's cl clear what the de-escalation of, of the challenges are. Uh, once you get to the, you know, back into the main area where you're sort of in the northwest corner, uh, where another way that they step it up is actually they have the rocks uh, over sink sand. And where you have to, you know, use the beacons to see where the ground is in order to better deal with them. Otherwise, you're just running in this slow sand while the rock is flying over, ready to drop rocks on you. You actually capture these uh, rocks earlier, but, you know, it's on regular ground before you enter those two major sink sand ampullas sections. Uh, but here's where I want to note the, yeah, you know, the progression of the challenges. So even though the area is open there are areas where it's harder to deal with the enemies uh, than in others. There's also the fact that 
uh, I mean, so a similar uh, thing to what you're saying is that uh, the bombable wall for the first, well, not the first, but for one of the time shift zones on the so directly west of the central structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that's similar to earlier on. Actually, that's similar to the area just sort of south. Actually, no, there's numbers here. So, okay. So the bombable wall area to the east, uh, to the west of the central structure is similar to the bombable wall part at number two on your map. Um, But the difference is that the second time uh, you're standing on the quicksand, on the safe area of the quicksand. So I guess you could say it's kind of development in the sense of you're not operating from solid uh, from uh, from regular land, but you have to also keep the uh, your location in respects to the safe areas on the quicksand. Mm-hmm. That's that's the the major thing that they try to get you to understand with that that west one. The bombable on the top in the north area, I think that one actually is a regular. I think that one's actually a regular crack. The ones in the west, if I recall correctly, they're actually the coffins. But you look at them, and you're like, "Oh, how am I supposed to get there?" Because there's look, you look at the map, it's like there's no bomb flowers nearby. How am I supposed to blow them up? And that's when you're actually supposed to just, you know, actually run your ass over there, uh, because there's yeah, there's actually bomb. solid ground and throw them in. And obviously, watch out for the the rock. Well, actually, yeah, and there is a bomb. Just yes, yeah, so oh. just. Yeah, just there near is. there, there's a bomb which is uh, surrounded by um, some grass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I miss yeah. saw that. Yeah, there is actually a bomb flower there. Never mind. But you still have to make your way to it because you, know, you actually have <laughs> yeah, to that's right. get to the switch. Uh, so that's the that's the only one that doesn't actually take you to the room. The ones in the uh, north and the east, those actually do take you to rooms where you do the challenges that you brought up earlier, where you use the Amplis egg and take it to the, the sort of little generator. Another note about uh, once you get to that northwest area is this is actually where the map opens up. You can actually do these three in any order you want. Uh, and you can pretty much access all the other well you can't you have to make sure that you unlock the shortcut so you want to continue going around the circle and unlock that shortcut way in the bottom right there where I labeled it shortcut <laughs> uh, just because if you don't open that door and you somehow make your way to that earlier area uh, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a bad time because you're gonna have to literally make your way all the way around again so make sure you open that, but otherwise, once you open that shortcut, you can pretty much go anywhere you want in this area, no hassle. Mm, I think it's neat how, just like all the other areas in the game, there's uh, there are certain um, game elements which uh, which allow you to navigate the area much more effectively on, you know, when you return to it later on. So one of them is the minecarts, and also the um, on the eastern side. So on the eastern wall, um, there's a switch on the other side which will open up the gate. 
So yeah. it all uh, uh, like raise the bars. So there's, uh, yeah, so uh, in total, there's the mine carts. So when you push the mine cart down, they act as like a ladder. Um, there's the hook shot targets, which you can't use um, just yet. And they allow you to get access to the top of the walls mm-hmm. without having to um, without having to uh, access them from uh, through one particular route. Uh, and then there's what else is there? Oh yeah, and then there's just uh, knowing the outline itself. So once you actually know, you know, how you meant to navigate that area, then you can navigate it more easy, navigate it more easily. Um, and then the time shift zone. Uh, the time shift zone, the time shift stones also um, change the environment a bit as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's um, so this environment does change as you move through it, yeah. and it changes both in terms of how you transform the environment and also how um, later abilities that you get enable you to interact with the game uh, with different game elements. So it changes physically and also changes through the abilities that the player has. Mm-hmm. The walls in particular, um, I think, are neat to think about just because, um, if I recall correctly, the main way of getting up on a wall is you have to walk around until you find a, a corner that's crumbled off and then you can run up it. Um, aside from that, you can reach it from another wall, or you can jump off of, uh, I think you can jump off of some of the cages, right? Onto the walls? Um, I think in the three cages down there, yeah, you have yeah. to go, actually, I think you run up into the cage, or, I'm sorry, run up the wall so you can actually jump onto the cage, so you can throw it into the, uh, last spot. Or, no, that's not how it works. I don't know. Well, so, regardless, like, getting up on top of a wall has some measure of complexity to it, right? Whereas using a a hookshot target is more of an immediate uh, cause and effect, Mm -hmm. where you see a target, you're going to get up on the wall right there, as opposed to uh, having to think several steps down the line when you'll be up on the wall. Yeah, and that definitely comes into play with the silent realms where it really matters knowing where those, or running around to look for those spots where you can run up those slopes to get on top of the wall because they're not normally scalable even with the the dash. Uh, there's like two major notes that I wanted to make left. Oh yeah, one was that uh, another escalation of challenges where you have rocks and spumes put together in the area where I put the number 7 and the last one where is the number 8 and this is where you see the ampelis in a much more open area with much less cover to work with Hmm. so yeah the the more difficult variation of the ampelis is actually literally right next to the first one but it's only after you've already gone through the entire desert and then within uh the eastern hall and also the northern hall behind the bombable wall there are other um ampelis quicksand challenges which are similar to number 
three and four on the map. So that's the area on the uh, southwest side of the desert. Um, except the uh, interior challenges are a um, bit more difficult. I'm not sure if it's actually both of those areas have uh, those particular challenges, but the eastern one certainly does. I'm sorry, can you guys hear that? No, I, if there's something in the background, I can't tell. Okay, thank God. No, the neighbor's dog is barking up a storm. Uh, I, I lost my train of thought. Uh, Daniel, what were you talking about? Yes, I was saying that the two interior areas um, develop the Ampelis, um the Ampelis, uh quicksand challenges where you uh, attack the Ampelis and then you ride its shell mm-hmm. following the uh, following the conveyor of quicksand. Ah, uh, yeah, that's uh, the power room where you have to shift time and use the Ampelis, but with the moving sink, yeah, with the moving sink sand. So you use the Ampelis shell before you shift the time and then use the beetle to take it across. That was a cool one. Yeah, again, I, I sort of feel, and, and I don't have any anything to back this up, but I just remember spending way too long on those two rooms and <laughs> it felt really drawn out having to switch between states and the quicksands traversal just yeah just feels drawn out to me so i didn't really enjoy this section as much as i could have uh, i guess now i will take the opportunity to note what the enemy changes are when you come back for the you know second and third time uh, for the second time, there's so this is this is an interesting one. One is that all the there's a lot more moblins and bokoblins when you come back. So conspicuously, they're mostly absent when you're here the first time. When you come back the second, now they're in, now they're in position. You have moblins a lot of times on these tall walls uh, that are almost they're only like a little bit wider than they are. So. Uh, but that also encourages you more to, you know, run over them and attack since it's not as easy to get around them. About moblins, I feel like um, they have a very distinctive introduction in Farron Woods and that giant tree. Um, and then there's a, a really memorable placement um, in that one room in the final temple where you're on the thin hallway and there's bottomless pits on either side. I feel like moblins are really frequently paired with really thin um, passages. Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking the same. There, there's like the one in Farron Woods that's actually in an open area, and then of course in like the final horde challenges where you get to fight one on like regular open ground. Uh, but yeah, they they put them on these like thin, thinnish walkways. Uh, the thing with this one, since I, when you come here the second time, is there's not as much a consequence if they knock you off because, you know, there's just the sand underneath you, although you do have to, like, you know, quickly run to safety. It's not quite like the uh, inside the tree one where, you know, you just fall. <laughs> you just fall and start over. And just to clarify, so you, so you guys are talking about the ones with the wooden shields and the uh, 
and the nipple rings, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think I gotta see some of them have metal carefully. shields. I think the ones here they all have metal shields. Yeah, the wooden shields are not. Uh... I mean, I'm talking about the giant ones. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they're, they're metal. metal. Basically, oh, sometimes, okay. you, yeah, can't yeah, sometimes you can't cut the shield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the ones here all have metal shields. Oh, sorry, I thought it was clever how, um, with the keys, how the to unlock the door, you have so so each of those three generators have a respective element, like a, a water, fire, electricity. And when you then activate the key, it's like in a uh, like a di uh, like a circular dial challenge, which I think is similar to something they did in Metroid Prime Three Corruption. But I can't. <laughs> yeah, where you put in the uh, Samus and puts in her hand cannon into into the key slot, and then you rotate the Wiimote. It's a similar thing here, um, but the what I find really interesting is how they, each of the elemental, uh, each of those generators has an element and the, and there are notches on the dial, which are set up in respects to the, I guess you'd say the relative undirection of the compass directions of those generators. And so when you, and so when you get to the, uh, and so once you've activated all the generators, you need to stick the sword in and then turn the dial according to where that respective element, uh, where that respective element's generator is positioned in, in the environment. And that's really quite clever because um, this whole second half of the desert is all about um, that. Well, actually, um, the whole thing is all about that, that kind of, um, circle and spoke structure and they and through the platforms under the quicksand and through this lock and key puzzle they really manage to uh, find a very unique way to um, to connect the sort of the overhead view of the environment with the uh, you know with the events that are happening at the ground level that's, That's a, a connection, connection I made without, without even realizing it, that, that you you take the um, upright, upright circle in front, front of you and uh, in your head like, like translate it 90, 90 degrees so that, that it, then it's flat, flat on, on the ground, ground and, and you're sort of imagining comparisons between this thing standing up right in front of you and the ground beneath you, beneath even you, though they're running, even though they're running like... Even, Even though, though they're, they're uh, at, at right, right angles, angles against, against each, each other. I wonder what the tuning process for this map was like. Like, I just imagine that they had, like, this whole thing filled in, right? Like, you know, all of the, so as it is on your map, Adrian, um, all of the sort of outlines filled in, and then they just airbrushed away <laughs> the walls until they got to a point where they could say, okay, that looks reasonably organic, reasonably natural, yep, mm -hmm. that's subtle enough. You know, like, at what point did they, yeah, like, at what point did they say, well, that's subtle enough, and what point was it, like, too much? Like, it's, and 
and you know, maybe there's a thing where like, at the start, like in the first few areas, like the walls are more solid. So in the sort of southern area, like the walls are pretty much all filled in. And then on the northern side, there's more gaps. So, you know, maybe there's like a really sort of subtle visual message in that when you first enter the area, you can see this, you can see the spokes being more complete. And then when you get to the second area, the fact that they're not complete is a point of contrast and therefore your mind's eye is naturally drawn to that. Hence, you know, the reason why you deduce that nap and why you've deduced that naturally, Greg. that actually happens in the enemy changeup when you go to the Lanier Desert that second and third time uh, is the spumes all the spumes that you see here the first time yeah they're all gone so for whatever reason the one enemy they decided to remove were the you know all the electric spumes why they did that I don't know maybe there's a weird enemy limit that uh, they couldn't overstep, so they decided this is the one we had the fewest of, so we might as well just get rid of it. Or, I have no idea why. Well, well, I guess, well, I guess because maybe they're not relevant because the player doesn't need to cross the uh, uh, the quicksand as much because they've got all the shortcuts. But they, as but then as to why they remove them, don't know. Now for this for the side room, uh, I think. Hang on, I just wanted to kind of like take a minute to. Uh, rewatch it uh, just so I can get all my thoughts ready yeah so let's just like prep ourselves and just like watch it's only going to be like four minutes and then we'll get back and give all our thoughts on the silent realm okay it's interesting like how they like they only use a very limited area like they use the space direct like quite close to uh, quite close to where link um enters the silent realm and then and they're sort of like so i guess sort of the the challenge to the north of the of the central circle there are a series of individual challenges and then in the in the uh, south, you've got the sort of the initial area when the player first enters. Instead of the um, instead of the uh, I've got the name there, Ampelus, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of the Ampelus, um, you've got those sort of uh, lantern carrying enemies, yeah. And and so they've remapped that challenge in a clever way because initially those that's i mean that's called them pillars you know it, initially those pillars were a way of showing the player how the ampelus works and now this second time they've been repurposed so that they sort of present different um routes and different uh, different ways of moving through that space while not being uh, while not stepping into the uh into the lantern's light 
it's just like it's just so subtle and i think that's one of the really interesting things about this game is that they sort of show how you can just reuse um a single environment effectively just by having the right um, game elements in place and so you know both of the enemies they both draw out like they both make this environment much more interesting i think it speaks to the you know the uh, you know the complexity that comes out of just arranging enemies of particular behaviors in a space um i know that's a really like simple point but it's um it speaks to why this game is able to uh, uh facilitate such sort of higher level level design where your previous understandings your you know, your previous models like previous mental models of the environment is constantly um um challenged in unique and interesting ways mm-hmm. and that all comes from the way relatively open simple spatial setups are paired with enemies i think that uh, it also has to do a lot with just the nature of the silent realm challenge itself where they give you this area that you should already be familiar with and put that time limit on it uh where your only way to increase gain more time is to find more of the tears of light mm, yeah yeah i mean it is a test it's a test isn't it like it's a because the uh, as you say because there's a timer it's and because there's a timer and because the enemies relate to that timer then yeah then and because you already know this environment like it's you know the timer makes this a test of your previous understanding of the environment to which the everything that you've done before including like placing down the markers and everything like that helps you to be able to navigate this area so like yeah it's just it's just so beautiful how like one initial experience then ripples forward and then affects how you then re-engage with that environment mm-hmm. sorry I've, yeah i've stressed that point a lot but but i think it's really important <laughs> yeah it should also be stated how not simple this is otherwise you'd see a lot more games doing it and yeah. other ways how they're able to maintain the clarity of the challenge it's not in just about sticking different enemies in uh, the same area it's also about getting a new challenges out of it so compare you know having models on it to having watchers that are patrolling on top of those walls that's something different while you're trying to get all these tiers within a time limit that's a different challenge and of course, the comparison you made earlier with having, you know, these ampelists in this wide open area where you have these couple pillars versus having a bunch of watchers, some of which stand still, some of which move, and some of which are more uh, aggro to you once you uh, get within a certain range of them, and then you have to make your way around them, or even multiple of them if you uh, run around them the right way. Wait, these are called tears of light, right? Well, who cares? Uh, one of the the standout lights to me there's one on top of waking water that you have to pull out a cart yeah, yeah get yeah. on it and then jump onto it i thought that one was interesting i thought it was so contrived man i'm like what is this <laughs> it's the most it's the biggest change just so just to get you to do that one trick but um i don't know it's but but it's cool because once you get like so if you're pushing it so I mean, just like in this video here, I'm not sure if you're watching the same one, but mm-hmm. like 
So what happens is on the players trying to um, time their pushes, so uh, uh, so it syncs up with the, uh, with, I guess, like the water mm-hmm. coming out and going back in, and then they get right to the end and they're just pushing it, and then um, and then the water comes out, but because they've already pushed it far enough over, um, they can just um, even though. They touch on the water and it goes into like red danger mode. The player can still just climb on top and still get the like. Are they close enough? So yeah, sorry, I thought that was cute. Another one. Oh yeah, they changed. They put a cart in front of the the cage where one of the time shift stones was. Cause the the tier lights literally the one where the time shift stone is. But you have to push the cart in, go up, get on top of it, go in and get it. Mm-hmm. Or go on top and get it. Um, another one was on top, of course, on the ones on Temple of Time itself, because Temple of Time itself, because you can't actually get up there normally. So they put on these uh, vine patches for you to climb up, and it gives you a really nice view of the whole area. If mm-hmm. I was also to sort of explain the the Waking Water one, it's because they really wanted that, but they couldn't find another area to put that in, but. You know, they had leeway to change up the area as they saw fit. So it's just like, all right, put a cart there, put a waking water there, because we really want this challenge in at some point. There is a, um, there's the pulsing water in Farron Woods, and this is kind of mm-hmm. the same thing, just with a cart on top. Yeah. It's a challenge that uh, it obviously involves a level element that was not normally there uh, in the first time around, but you know, put in just to get a new challenge to deal with the the unique qualities of the the Cyan Realm and the Waking Water. And then once you finish, you get the well, the claw shots, or the mm-hmm. double hook shots, which yeah. then allows you to navigate the space again in another way. So, I think mm. this is also the Silent Realm challenge that uh, I think I like botched up at the very end. It's one where you definitely you you can see where a lot of them are. Uh, once you get on to the the mining facility area and just look around, but it's also one where you got to be careful not to grab too many of the the ones close by first. Yeah, the ones in once you get to that southern area and you you know and those are your last ones. You have quite a way to quite a way back to make yourself to the to the exit. You can see because there's there's fewer um, large like larger walls around you whether they be trees or the volcano or the you know, like all the sort of the structure or the caverns around the volcano like mm-hmm. you know, this area is fairly open as we were discussing before which yeah makes it really easy to it, it, it's, pick up your orientation points yeah open without many things in the way to obstruct your line of sight so you can see those vast distances unobscured Oh, there's also that one cheeky one that's uh in the southern, like way down there all by itself, and it's on a tree. Uh, it's it's yeah. neat how any chance they can get to incorporate that role, uh, that role mechanic to knock things off of stuff. Because this is the last game where you're going to see that role. Yeah, look, um, I 
although I found the quicksand kind of annoying, uh, yeah, I do quite like the clever, as I said before, the clever top-down perspective um, dial and spoke design and how there's that connection there and and, the, and also the nature of uh, of picking up the bombs and dropping them in the hoops I thought was quite enjoyable and, and we didn't touch on it actually but the that bird creature which is has a very funny name like rock, rock. or something rock. yeah yeah um it's also quite fun to pick up a bomb and chase them as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because they can be like quite a nuisance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you'll be running across quicksand and then they'll attack you. And then if you take a hit on the quicksand and you get knocked back, then you basically you basically have to repeat that section. Yeah. Curious to note that uh, in because they're without any cave walls, uh, there are absolutely no electric keys uh, in the Lanayru Desert area. So that's actually your only flying enemy, but it's also one that can, you know, go quite a ways and actually, you know, track you, uh, which is what makes it the nuisance that it is. Some of my thoughts on the Laneru Desert is definitely interesting area, and I like the the use, you know, when you're going through the for the first time, the use of the hook beetle, its upgrade, the use of the bombs, so you get that clear escalation of challenges, and I like how they ha- incorporate. The use of the hook shot to make your way getting across. Well, actually, that that more speaks to just like the game in general. Is like, boy, it's a little conspicuous how the hook shot was worked into the level, but somehow not the whip or the gust bellows. Even though this is the area that you live to get it in. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, gripes aside. Um, the Lanayru Desert is also the one that features the fewest uh, challenges in the same area because, you know, in the Farren Woods, okay, actually it's about tied with the Farren Woods, but the Lanayru Desert features more new areas that you go to, so besides coming back here the second time and doing the Silent Realm challenges, uh, that's actually about it. It was the Elden Volcano that featured the most where, you know, you're doing that whole entire third stealth section again. Yeah, I can't even re- remember what the environment upheaval was. The third quest, I think, is that rail shooter section, right? Yeah, that's where you're going to the, the Thunder Dragon. You go on the cart and, you know, it has a time shift stone, so you try to follow follow it uh, while opening the path for it forward. Yeah, I mean, this area also has a lot of interesting little subsections as well. So um, I was just going to add as well, I just noticed talking, you know, just referring to that, uh, you know, the visual nature of the overhead map. It's also interesting that the, it does look a bit like a vault. And if you look at the way that the boxes are organized around that, uh, around that circular area, like, yeah, like it does look like a dial. Behind that is the mining facility, and so maybe vaults and mines are related in some way. I don't know, but it actually looks like the lock of a vault, so that was really clever. <laughs> yeah. It didn't occur to me. Well, listening to you two talk about your favorite elements 
especially stuff like the um, the hook attachment for the beetle or um, the ampelises. reminds me of why I like the sink sand so much because it's sort of, I mean, I guess I would say it's a dynamic version of a bottomless pit where mm-hmm. if you walk into it and you just stay there, you know, Link sinks to the bottom and then you start back over. But um, you have another level of interaction with it where Link can run over it. And so it lends some ambiguity to getting through the environment where you need to gauge how far you need to go. Maybe you can run there. Um, And then different elements interact with it differently. Like you can roll bombs across uh, sink sand. Yeah. And obviously the amplices uh, surf across it. So... um, I just like the sink sand because it's dynamic. I get where you're coming from with the... Yeah, they 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 did quite a lot of ideas in just this one area when you really think about it, which is probably why this is such a such a favorite. I mean, the time shift alone, time shift stones alone, that's already a cool idea. But then you got the sink sand, the use of the map with the sink sand as you're navigating across the map. So you can get to these three different areas, which involves more of the time shift stones and sink sands and the ampelises. I mean, those, it's really, those three right there are kind of key. Um, initially, I, as I was playing through, I had this suspicion that in the, um, in the center point of the map, there'd be like a giant time shift zone, uh, time shift stone, and you'd whack it, and it would transform the whole desert into this green environment, and that never happened. Oh. Did, did you guys have the same idea as you're playing through like the same expectation isn't there some area like oh that's the sand ship yeah i did have a little bit of that because i mean you you literally get the entire map in the you know the past but it's unfortunate that you never actually get to go to it because you know sometimes it's like man i kind of want to see what these little robot dudes are like they're you know, in their actual mm. time period without the normal limitations of the time shift stones. Um, but no, we, we never get to we never get to see that. That actually would have been kind of neat for like your third visit where you just like, you know, really actually go to the past. But no. Just go to the Linear Gorge instead. So I guess that's the end of the series of podcasts on Skyward Sword. Yup. I guess uh, just to say, um, I'll leave my usual. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. <laughs>